Imagine a person, much like yourself, going about their daily tasks, perhaps shopping, maybe mowing the lawn. Suddenly, they are transported to a strange place. They see statues and hear gargled moans, then gunshots. A flash. Now they are on a grassy plain. Strange creatures are all around, living peacefully. Some are with humans and are battling. Flash. They are in a spaceship, engaged in a dogfight. Flash. They are back in their world. What happened, you ask? Waffling Taylor's happened. everyone and welcome to another episode of the waffling tailors um i am indeed i am <laughs> i am one of your hosts jay and with me as always is squidgy say hello squidgy what am i doing here i could have I, I could have been anything i could have done anything with my life yeah i'm here what am i doing here <coughs> are, you, are you saying you'd rather be doing anything else than talking to me is that what you're saying no what, what i'm saying is right now as of right now i could have still been in bed but apparently not so fair enough i mean you've got to back to bed after this if you it's, want. it's not the bigger question thing of what could i have done meta question as, as in right now i could still be in bed snoring my head off but no i've been dragged we'll go to bed then no sure <laughs> i could be in bed <laughs> so as you all heard we have a special guest with us today we'll come back to the special guest in a moment i just want to say how are you squidgy i'm not too bad good 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 now um we do have a special guest with us um we have special guest jason madison with us uh he's part of the the uh the lost in cult lock on crew um, and uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about Lock-On. We're going to talk a, bit, a little bit about one of the pieces that he wrote for Volume 1 and how wonderful it was and how uh, really interesting and, and special it was. Uh, so I guess I'd better introduce Jason. Jason, how are you? Oh, I'm knackered. I want to get back in bed as well, like Squid here. You know, um, two nights of <laughs> what, staying up to watch wrestling. Yeah, two... <laughs> Trying to stay up and watch um, live wrestling at American time, it's just not good for my body anymore. You know, I'm creeping up to 35 in October, and it's just, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, running on gas and air at the moment. <laughs> and a cup, nice cup of coffee here, so we'll we'll try and get through this the best we can today, and uh, I'll uh, perform um, at the best of my ability for you guys. Awesome. awesome. But how are you? Yeah, good man, good, good, good. It's Monday, or oh, we're recording this on Monday morning. This is, it's it's a Monday morning. It's lovely. the The sun's out, so I'm staying inside. <laughs> it's 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 great. I know great. the feeling. Yeah, it shouldn't be two eleven o'clock in the same day. It's just not on. Absolutely, there shouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so. <laughs> so uh we've we've talked with uh jason before uh which is which is wonderful um but that was more of a sort of bonus quick get this out because this is an amazing int- interview uh we chatted with jason and john um earlier this year 
I want to say in around March time, but that's probably a little bit too early into the year. I'm not sure. Uh, we talked about um, about Lock On, right? Uh, and and volume one of Lock On's uh, the the Kickstarter. Uh, and, and I'll put a link in the show notes. But the actual episode is called Lock On Volume One: A Discussion of Passion, right? And we were talking about how uh, passionate John and Jason and everyone else in the Lost in Cult crew are for the Lock On Gaming Journal project. And um, I'll, I'll let I'll let Jason talk talk a little bit more about that in a second. But I, what I thought was we could have a chat with Jason about the you know about the gaming journal, what gaming means to him, uh, and uh, and this piece that he's written for Volume One um, called uh, "I Have Lived." And I thought uh, we could also maybe discuss because at the time of recording, at the very least, the Volume Two Kickstarter has started. So you definitely need to go and get on that because. Uh, even if Volume 2 is, and I'm going to use bunny quotes here, only as good as Volume 1, it will be stellar, right? And I'm pretty sure that the Lost in Cult folks are going to up their game for Volume 2. So, you know, you're going to want to get in on this, folks. I'm telling you. <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, welcome again to the show, Jason. Welcome back, I guess is the best way to put it. So, um, in case folks have missed... That first episode where we talked with you and John about Lock On, could you give us like a an elevator pitch of uh, of what it is and what it sort of means to you? So, um, Lock Lock On is um, it's a curious beast. Um, so, as a for people that don't know what Lock On is, um, if you think about gaming, uh, you know, print media magazines. Um, they're slowly on the decline. Um, you know, there's far less than there used to be back, uh, you know, like 10 years ago. Um, you know, long gone are the days of having magazines with, you know, your cover, guidebook, demo discs mm. and all of that. Um, if you go into, the, you know, local WH Smith in the UK now, um, you've only got like um, a few uh, select magazines on the shelves, you know, such as uh, Edge, uh, retro gamer um, play, uh, which was formerly official PlayStation Magazine UK. Um, I don't think you can think there's any Nintendo or uh, Xbox ones anymore in terms of uh, that presence. But yeah, they've been on the decline. And um, I myself, I've not bought magazines for years. You know, I've, I've, I've even stopped really going on uh, gaming uh, journal- journalism websites. I normally just have like a Twitter feed like a lot of people do. And, uh, you know, I follow all of these outlets. And if there's like a, a tweet or a link that comes up that I'm interested in, I'll click on it. Um, but um, during lockdown last year, um, you know, I made acquaintances with a Mr. John Doyle. Um, and the, um, you know, we started chatting about, you know, games and, and stuff like that. He he just approached me because he he liked what I was talking about, and he felt like we were on the same wavelength in terms of our views on games, the gaming industry, tastes in gaming, and um, you know he wanted to do this project called Lock On. Um, I think I'm going on a tangent here, but I guess tangent is uh, what and this is all about. But anyway, cut cut a long story short. Um, he said to me he's had this uh, project in his head for quite a while. And it was called Lock On. Uh, he's just not had the confidence to get it off the ground. And he said he wanted to do a, a premium magazine. And, uh, he, he, you know, and we've been talking for a while. 
and uh, I was a bit skeptical at first because I just thought, well, no one really buys gaming magazines anymore. Well, I don't think anyway. But why would someone want to buy a premium magazine, gaming magazine at the cost that you're proposing? And then, you know, conversations were going on. And he was convincing me because he was showing me that, you know, well, there's not going to be any screenshots. He wants to get, um, you know, like independent artists and illustrators to do bespoke art for it. Um, he knows a lot of people. It's a passion project. And he wants to, um, you know, project stories of, you know, the gaming industry and, uh, you know, which covers art history, current affairs indie games, you know, sensitive and thoughtful topics. And I felt like this was a really good idea. So, you know, he's bouncing ideas off me. We're, we're talking and talking. Uh, we've become friends. And um, I'm really getting on board with the idea because what I was getting the image was, and I guess this is my way of describing luck on here. It, uh, I'm someone that likes to collect uh, gaming art books. I look, you know, even if it's like fan art or unofficial art, I just like, you know, illustrations and having like a, a repository of that stuff, even if it's official, unofficial. So what we would, what we had here is this kind of hybrid of like an art book, but also what I felt like was an academic journal and being someone that works uh, at a university with academics. I worked on, you know, university journals. I felt like, you know, this is we're on something here, and people, I feel like, you know, that are into gaming and into, you know, the the more thoughtful side of things and the deeper meaning of gaming. Um, you know, is proposing that we have like, you know, in between all of this art um, essays to do with these games, and I felt like, well, this is a really, you know, this is really good, and he obviously wants to put it through Kickstarter. And he was showing me examples of some of the um, independent magazines he was working on, you know, like Switch Player, Ninty Fresh. Uh, so, you know, I obviously bought some copies of these, had a look at these, and uh, obviously they're very magazine-y, uh, but he wanted to do something different, more minimalist, more uh, text-heavy, more thoughtful. And, uh, and then we're banning our heads together, but the thing was trying to get past this word magazine. And you can still refer to it as that, you know, at its heart, it's related to a magazine. And then we came up with, well, how about we call this a gaming journal? And, uh, you know, that the, the idea of a gaming journal was pretty much non-existent at that point, apart from um, a profound waste of time, which is one of, uh, it's an <laughs> annual um, publication. Uh, again, as I'm speaking now, I don't know much about it. Yeah, I've not done much research into it, um, into that publication. I know of it now. Uh, I don't have a copy at hand. Uh, but I felt like, you know, we need the gaming journal, calling this a gaming journal and, you know, calling it a hybrid of an art book and a magazine. I felt like, you know, we've got a unique selling point here. And I felt like as someone who isn't passionate about gaming magazines anymore, as a lapsed magazine reader buyer, I felt like, you know, this could be some of that could really hit the ground running. So mm. we spent many months uh, planning, uh, coming up with uh, kind of what stories we wanted to feature, um, people that we want to contact. So we obviously got in contact with a lot of developers, you big YouTubers, you know, just going into DMs and emails, doing research, and we knew that we wanted to do something which 
covered PlayStation. You know, it was originally going to be a PlayStation only publication, but with a massive emphasis on indie developers. Um, so the months are going on. We're planning behind the scenes, and I played more of like an assistant role to John. You know, because he he's God bless him. He that I don't know anyone as hard working as him. You know, I'm giving him a lot of praise here, but he was spending a lot of time, obviously work. You know, working on this, trying to get all the plans and uh, systems in place. He'd obviously been thinking about this for a long time before he met me and got me on board. But it was the two of us at the time. And then throughout, you know, until from like, you know, September to uh, September 2020 to February of this year, you know, there was so much planning going on. You know, we're getting like the page counts together, thinking about uh, the artists we want to feature, uh, the writers, and we were getting people on board. And then uh, John brought on... um, Two guys from a switch player and into fresh, Sean Hughes and Benjamin uh, Hayhoe. Um, big shout out to those guys for all the help. And then, um, yeah, we, we got the Kickstarter going. Um, and obviously, there were some things, you know, because we've never done this before. Uh, there were some things, you know, John was having trouble with, such as start, you know, working out distribution and postage. And that's when uh, we got in touch with Andrew. And, and then I suggested to John, uh, I think we should probably get him on board on a you know an official capacity. So uh, Andrew came on as editor in chief. Uh, I think that was shortly after the kit the first Kickstarter had ended. But yeah, go back to the Kickstarter. Um, you know that was quite an interesting journey in itself. So we came out of nowhere. No one really knew who we were apart from who John's worked with previously. I'm a nobody, you know, I'm just some random bloke that John's met on Twitter who happens to have the same views as him, you know, preservation, gaming and all that sort of stuff. So if you guys remember, so uh, the first week of the Kickstarter, I think it was February or March of this year, a lot's happened since then. Um, it was quite interesting, you know, we're obviously trying to... An understatement, isn't it? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're trying to reach out to as many people as possible, but then we obviously found out we were then fighting, you know, the algorithm of Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You know, as soon as when we were like getting a lot of views and um, what do you call it, responses, Twitter was then compounding us. So we had, we had like a really successful first week, and obviously, um, you know, some big players in the, the gaming journalism world were becoming aware of the project. We're getting interested. Uh, we're getting more people on board to contribute to the project, and then we had like a really slow two weeks in the middle of that four-week uh, Kickstarter campaign. So it was again we were retweeting, we were constantly putting tweets out, constantly trying to get people to to share the link, and we were getting on podcasts with you know guys like yourselves and uh, some other people that were obviously really interested in the concept and the, the uh, unique selling point of the project. And then the final week came, and that's when it started really kicking off. You know, I think a lot more people were aware of the project from then. And then we had that kind of FOMO thing going on, you know, the fear of missing out. And then, 
you know, at the end of it, we became fully funded and we had a really success, and that was a really successful uh, Kickstarter. Um, you know, we got the projects we love accolade from uh, Kickstarter themselves. And yeah, uh, following one was fully funded. And then, you know, the next few months of that, admittedly, it could have been better organised. But, you know, this is the first time for us, you know, we had our little motley crew of people, you know, of all different expertise. And then we had Andrew helping out. I just want to give a big shout out to Andrew. Um, I, I know he's had a lot of, you know, he's got a lot of expertise in this field. And, you know, he's already done the Dreamcast uh, book. But uh, we couldn't have done this without him. And, um, and to this day at the moment, we're following to kickstart on the go. Andrew is such a vital part to the success of Lock-On and it wouldn't be where it was today without him, um, especially. Uh, so big shout out to Andrew Dickinson for all the help that he uh, has given to the project. Um, so yeah, um, next few months after the kick- first Kickstarter ended, uh, you know, we uh, had a lot of work to do and eventually we got um, Volume 1 to print and it's you know, it's in the hands of a lot of people now uh, across the UK, across the world. Uh, we've had a really strong reception to it. Uh, you know, the various articles, uh, I think we've been labelled as like, the most beautiful gaming publication in the world, you know. So, beauty sells. And, um, yeah, it's going really great. Um, I want to get your opinion on it, actually. I know that you guys have got uh, Volume 1 in your hands at the moment. I just want to know what you feel about it. And uh, Yeah, well, um, I'll tell you this. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you... Uh, uh, the first time though I saw it in in person, I'd gone over to Squidge's house because mine was going to be delivered, um, and I, I had to go over to see Squidge for a, a specific reason, which we're not going to go into. Um, and I remember uh, sending a message to Andrew saying, "I can see it; it's on the way to my house, but I'm on the way to Squidge's house, <laughs> you know, and he lives like fifty, sixty miles away. So it's like, oh no, I'm not going to be able to see it till you know tomorrow or the next day or whatever, and." Um, I remember I got to got to his house and it had just arrived, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, it's on the shelf and it looks amazing." And I was like, "Oh, let's have a look then." And uh, Squidge has he has the same sort of uh, tier of, of of Kickstarter that I had, which is like the um, the uh, the pay- I don't want to call it a paperback, but like the soft back cover and the hardback cover, and you know a, a zine and. Yeah. A, a big poster and you know uh, the the art cards and the sticker and I just have to say that I think it's a, it's a wonderful package right so well put yeah. together um, and I, immediately I was like right Scritch I'm setting up a little photo booth I'm gonna take some pictures and share them on Twitter because this looks genuinely amazing um, and I've confiscated half of my front room to do that by the way that's it. That's it, and I mean I'm a terrible photographer, right? But I mean the 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 quality of the pictures was terrible, but the quality of the product is amazing. I've got to say that Um, I still haven't finished reading through it because I'm kind of I'm trying to take my time and savor it, Um, and I'm I'm being very uh, I'm trying to be really careful with it actually because usually when I get a a paperback or a softback cover book you know I it gets cracked open and I've got the you know the book open almost completely flat and I'm reading it like that but then I'm looking at the quality of the paper and the print and stuff like that and I'm like if I break this (laughs) if I rip this somehow you know it'd take a lot to do it but if I rip this somehow or I bend it 
then it's never going to look the same again, you know. So, like, the hardback book has not been opened. That has stayed in the bubble wrap that it was delivered in because, Either. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to get my grubby fingers all over it, you know. <laughs> Funny you say that. I mean, as of we're recording right now, there's no all copies of the soft cover have been sold. Obviously, all the hardbacks have gone. Um, I think there was a thousand soft covers uh, printed and two hundred of the hardcover. So, you know, these these can't be replaced. You know, absolutely. And uh, it's funny you say that because um, a lot of my um, a lot of my friends back the project project from Lincoln, and uh, you know. I'd, I've been going around signing some of the uh, copies, but quite a few of my friends will not open or unseal the hardcover because they want to keep it protected. Mm-hmm. And you think that, you know, this is something that needs to be opened and experienced and, you know, read. But um, it's astonishing that. And I know quite a few people that uh, where they've got the hardcover, but then they've gone and bought a soft cover for which they'll use that to read it. So I, I think that kind of just speaks volumes. I, I don't want to die. I'm quite a modest person. I don't want to blow the trumpet or anything, but I think that kind of speaks to how um, how good the quality, I guess, is of the product itself and how people are appreciating that. I mean, especially with the numbers being so limited. But um, what I want people to kind of appreciate is that um, when you – you know, when you flick it through the pages, although we've got a very minimalist approach to design, um, it's unbelievable the amount of hours that I've gone into putting those pages together. Um, and it's it's a monumentous task. I, I, I mean, John John's done a lot of what we'd call the design uh, aspects, you know, the positioning and uh, the use of fonts. Um, we've done a lot of the selection of colour together, you know, and then, you know, I've done a lot of the technical side because uh, I do this as a day job, you know, putting these kind of uh, packages together. So, you know, putting the images in, make sure the colours are all correct for professional print. Uh, and obviously, you know, we've got like, you know, Andrew, Ben and Sean that have done all of the uh, proofreading for us. And we've had to do a lot of rounds of proofreading. So the amount of hours that I've got that I've gone into putting that together it's unbelievable, you know. Uh, there's been a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of back and forth, um, and obviously with doing this four times a year now, um, and knowing where, you know, know what mistakes and what disorganisations came out of putting volume one together, you know, we've got a more refined process, mm-hmm. and we'll get better as time goes along. But um, yeah, it. I guess when I look back on it. I, you know, I, could, I look through the pages, I could just see, you know, it took so many hours for us to get this all together. But when I say that as well, that's our commitment to attention to detail. You know, our aim, you know, me and John from the very beginning said that with this product, this has to be the most beautiful um, gaming publication ever made. And not saying that, you know, we're the best, uh, we're the best there ever was, like Bret Hart would say. Uh, that's a wrestling um, <laughs> UP, uh, wrestling thing for you people that don't know who Bret Hart, Bret Hart is. But anyway, 
you know, we've got a, a high attention to detail, the quality, and you're going to see that as the volumes go up. You know, if you thought that the first one was a stellar job, you know, just wait till you see volume two and just wait till you see volume three. You know, we're going to be bigger, better. We're going to have more pages, more content. Stop teasing me. You, you know, <laughs> but um, it... Oh, you've not got long to wait. You've not got long to wait. Um, but, you, you know, it... Seeing the, but seeing the reception that we've been getting, you know, um, you know, I think people in America and other parts of the world are still yet to receive their copies. But you know, seeing all of the posts on Twitter, seeing all of the the praise, um, it's just been wonderful. You know, there's been no criticism. Um, you know, it's just hearing this. You know, these same lines of thought. So you know, oh, this is so beautiful. Um, Oh, I love all the artwork. You know, it's just wonderful the reception that we're getting. It's so humbling, and it's it just feels so profound after so many, nearly a year of well, for myself anyway, a year of dreaming about this with John. You know, from the beginning it was just a dream. We only had like a few sample images to go off, and then just having that physical product in your hands on your shelves. Uh, for, for, for me especially, it's uh, yeah, it's been a really I don't know a, a big achievement for me anyway. I've come from I've come from some dark places in my life and a lot of procrastination. I know John John's come from similar circumstances, and uh, it's just great to have that out there and to know that a bit like what we were going on about with AEW, another wrestling company earlier, you know, <laughs> we feel like you know, this is legitimate. We know we've got a legitimate product on our hands. And um, it's all right, if it's all right for me to talk about Kickstarter 2, which is yeah, sure. I yeah, think we've been running for nearly a week now. You know, um, you, you've got to think, uh, it took us a month to get to about, I think it was 17K that we got to. Within... Just about six days, we were already at about thirty thousand pounds, and I think Oof. I think that that just speaks that you know the word of mouth got out there. I think I, I think a lot of people that have got this product in their hands have probably been showing their friends and family and peers the project. You know, it's reaching a, a bigger audience. The fact that we've got to that sum in such a quick amount of time. And I think, uh, just let me read this. Uh, Andrew just told me this this morning. Um, get back to his chat. Right, in terms of, a fa- here's a factoid for you. Um, we got fully funded within 18 hours. Mm. And as a gaming magazine on Kickstarter, we had the biggest opening three days ever on Kickstarter. Wow. And that is just an amazing accolade to reach. And, it's you know we've still got another week to go because we've we're doing a two week uh, Kickstarter funding period rather than four weeks. It that just goes to show us that you know you know it instills confidence in us. We know we've got a legitimate product, mm. and we know that you know it's only going to get bigger. And I've, you know we've made a massive stab at you know the gaming print media scene, and it, it, it just goes to show that. There's still a, an audience out there for gaming print media. You know, it's 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 not gone away just yet, and you know we're we're now a player in that scene, and hopefully we can bring we can bring people back that elapsed magazine readers and viewers back into the the fold. So we're really proud of how far we've come, and there's so much more to come. 
uh, stuff that you don't know about or the, the listeners don't know about. But, you know, at the time of recording, yeah, we've got a week left and there's so much more to come. and We can't wait to get the, the second one in your hands. Uh, we are still going to stick with the mantra that, you know, we're kind of like a limited run uh, print media outlet. You know, there's only ever going to be a limited amount of copies. They're always going to be hand numbered. So get them whilst you can. And obviously, if you can't, if you can't get zero zero one, as we're calling them, volume zero zero one, we've got digital copies. Uh, but yeah, it. I, I don't know. I, I can't. I haven't got the words to express how grateful I am to be a part of this project and how grateful I am for the reception that we've had and for all the nice and kind words that people have been uh, giving us. But, um, yeah, we're here to stay, and there's so, so much more to come. Yeah, well, the, That's the, awesome. And, uh, yeah. the, the praise is well-deserved because just the, the quality of it. I mean, I'll go back to the quality, but I've I've owned and read some gaming things, and it's it's a far cry from, like, magazines and stuff because, you know, I mean, that hardback cover, I'm, I'm pretty sure I could bash nails in with it. It's just, it's not expected, <laughs> you know? And then just uh, the quality of the paper, the layout, the colours, everything just seems to flow. And it's um, it's it's an easy read. And it's one of those where you start reading it, you don't realise that an hour's gone by. Um, that happened to me. I'm, I'm reluctant yeah. even to read the, the, um, the, I don't know what you're calling it, the, let's say the, the non-hardback -hard copy. Um, I've been reading the... Um, the digital copy because I just don't want to touch them. Just on the off chance <laughs> either bend a page or what have you. You know, it's it's there on the shelf. It's numbered. I don't want to bother. You know, just just leave it there. It looks. It's uh, it's. I, I, it's amazing you've got that line of thought. It's. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm so, I've I've got crippling OCD over my gaming collection. You know, I'm over discs and I. I get really anxious if I get a crease on the page of anything. And I know a lot of people that are quite messy, but then they're treating this book like it's the Holy Grail. Not that I'm saying it is the Holy Grail, but they, they don't want, they're reading digital copies. And the, the, the thing is, the purpose of this project, and with it being print media, is for people to actually hold it in their hands, sniff the... I mean, as you know, uh, the soft cover has got uh, a a smell to it. Mm. You know, definitely compared to the hard cover because they were, they were printed on their uh, different printing machines. It, you know, the whole purpose of this book was to get into people's hands and for them to to physically read it and savour it. But it's it's quite amazing that you you said that. But that just goes to I think that goes to show that how much you like the product and how appreciative you are of it and how you just, you want to keep it like, you know, sacred. And I guess with it being hand numbered as well, that just further fortifies that line of thought. Um, yeah. It's, it's more of a case of it's, um, you see it's hand numbered. I've, I've got the hardback and the other version of it. I, I see it more of as a, a collector's edition because there's only a limited amount. It's not like I could, yeah. you know, within one week go to the shop and buy another magazine because I'd, I'd ripped it or set it on fire or something. You know, it is it is a collector's edition, and I really want to keep it in the same condition that it is. Even, even the, the you know the pair of them, and yeah. I don't mind reading on a screen. But it's one of those where it's it's going on the shelf. It's staying there, you know, with the other numbers that are coming out because I need them. I need them now. <laughs> it's a, it's another thing that I must have now. I can't have an odd number. I can't have one missing. It has to be there now. <laughs> but it's um. 
it's weird because when when we when we talked to um, yourselves before and we were chatting about it, um, I remember Jay sent me a link and said, "We're going to get these guys." And what do you think to this? And I I was really impressed with it. You know, the, it was the artwork that got me originally, and then the stories yeah. and stuff. I remember, I can't remember if it was you or John that was talking. As you were doing it, I muted my mic, muted my mic, and I backed it while we were recording. I'm yeah. having this, I'm having this. Um, but the the thing that got me when, when I started reading it is it's not typical magazine fare. And what I mean by that is it's not sort of trying to grab the reader and with you know, like like it's weird to say like journalism you know read it this is yeah. awesome this is great 10 things you're going to look yeah. about this game it's it's actual stories from real people it's not just to grab readers attention and sell magazines and that's kind of hard to find even if you're looking like on the net or whatever yeah. and it's kind of hard to find genuine stories from people it's really hard you raise a really good point there Squidge um, so I, I guess going back when we originally uh, were conceptualising Lock-On, um, you know, I've said this to John many times, I'd, and I'd, I'd like for us to promote ourselves as kind of like an outlet for aspiring talent and people who have certain stories and perspectives to tell, but otherwise, if they were to get published on, you know, I don't know, Kotaku, IGN, they'd probably get lost in the swarm of headline grabbers if that makes any sense you know uh, it's like when you when you see a lot of you know gaming websites nowadays uh, I mean especially on my Twitter feed a lot of it just seems to be headline grabbing stuff you know uh, controversial headlines or console war stuff you know um, it's very rare I think that I'll see I'll come across a tweet or a post where there's a link to there's like essay that's talking about, I don't know, uh, the religious aspects of Final Fantasy X or, you, you know, it's something deep and meaningful. And uh, and obviously people that are trying to get those stories across, they're having a great difficulty doing that nowadays. So they don't get paid very well for those sort of articles either. So we wanted Lock-On to be a place to nurture that talent and that, way of thinking but to also promote those kind of stories you know those unique perspectives on people's favorite you know games of their pastime and current games um so lock on is first and foremost a you know a uh, a waypoint for that uh alongside uh, lock on you know in the Lost and Court family, we've got uh, an online, you know, we've got obviously a big uh, online community growing at the moment, but we've also got this uh, steady platform that we're using where we're going to have more of like um, those stories, but also um, articles reflecting that, you know, current affairs and stuff which could happen in the future, you know, those what if kind of uh, scenarios. So, uh, you know, we've also got the digital content, but then lock on is you know, where we've got more of that deep, meaningful content for historical, the past and the present. So, yeah, it's really interesting that you come up with that, that line of thought because, you know, there's I don't think there's going to be a lot of other places at the moment, especially on the web, where everything just gets lost underneath the headlines nowadays, where you're going to find that kind of content you're looking for. And uh, we purpose, 
fully um, laid out the articles in such a way where it is easy to read and where, you, you know, the text is very visible. And then you've got this really beautiful artwork alongside it. You know, we're going to really, it's going to be consistent throughout all of the uh, volumes that we release, you know, that, that, that style and approach. Um, you know, we've, we've got like, for example, in the first volume, we've got PlayStation 1 art retrospectives where there's no title. The only way you get the title is from the contents page. So, you know, we're taking obviously the reader on the journey, but it's also, we've got some, a little bit of ambiguity to it, but we're also hoping that the art that goes alongside the text, you know, speaks for itself and speaks for volumes. So, yeah, in terms of what you're looking for, I, I hope that we've uh, fulfilled that. And, um, yeah, I'll just say look forward to more of that. Uh, I mean, you know, I've got volume two on the go, but just wait until you see volume three. Um, I've, I've assisted teasing, on some of the planning. I mean, uh, hey, we, we, love, we, love a, you know, we love a promo, <laughs> don't we? So I'm, I'm making a lot of wrestling references because I know we all like, I know we, we like wrestling here, but, you know, if I was to do a CM Punk pipe bomb, let's just say that, you know, we're, you know, we're giving it to the big journalism outlets out there. You know, we're, you know, for, for the stuff they don't want to promote, we're going to promote it. We're going to give those aspiring writers the opportunities that they want to get their voices heard. And for me, and it doesn't matter what their writing ability is, you know, we've we've got people that have written for us that have got dyslexia. You know, um, people from all sorts of different backgrounds, you know, uh, genders, um, interests whatever you know we we really are passionate about getting people's voices heard so you know if you're listening and you're really passionate about a certain topic of gaming you know do pitch to us you know do get in touch with us because we want to hear from you but um i'll just say with volume three i mean we we made uh, apparent before that we're going to feature some dreamcast content and we know mr dickinson is um, a big purveyor of the dreamcast um, I've been assisting him on uh, some of that, you know, the ideas for the content. And let's just say, if you think volume two is exciting and big, wait till volume three. And uh, But you're not going to have long to wait, but <laughs> there is a lot of stuff in the works. Um, even stuff that uh, John's probably not told me about yet. But um, yeah, it's it's going to get bigger and better. But um, if, if you are someone like Squidge and Jay here and, you know, you're keeping your books sealed, that's great. You know, protect them, cherish them, love them. But, yeah, do read. Do read them. But um, I guess there's a digital copy for that as well. Leadership. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Its ongoing mission to develop leaders through Star Trek. To boldly go where no podcast has gone before. A Star Trek podcast told through the lens of leadership development. Subscribe today. The Starfleet Leadership Academy. Have you got any other like, opinions about the book? I, I, I want to hear your, your thoughts, actually. Have you got any more thoughts about what you've read so far? So um, I've been... Um, how do I put it? Like when I'm when I'm reading a book of uh, short essays, I tend to start at the start and work my way through, right? 
But with with lock on, what I've done is I've picked and choosed. I haven't gone right. Okay, page one, you know, and the adventure begins. I've gone. Oh, cool. There's a, you know, there's a. a you've got a piece by Alex O'Neill, CVX freak, about um, you know Resident Evil, and 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 what's great about that is, um, it's in in traditional print media, if they'd have had an article by Alex, they'd have pushed him to say, hey, talk about the book, talk about the book. Say don't don't forget to buy the book, and there's there's almost no mention of his book in that article, right? It's like it's almost like he's like here's you know a page and a bit of text just to just to get people interested in the topic. And if you know that I've written a book, fantastic. If you don't know I've written a book, also fantastic, right? And there's uh, like you say, there's like a I want to say it's a double page spread, two double page spreads with like a iconography for the PlayStation logo. And oh, yeah, you know, yeah. just just it, just picking and choosing my way through it rather than going um, start at the beginning. I mean, I could I could totally start at the beginning and read through, but um, usually with a book of essays, if you pick and choose, there's this almost like a um, a disconnect between. Okay, so I'll read the essay on page two, then I'll jump to the essay on page one hundred, and then I'll come back a little bit and read that one because they're not connected. There's no through line through them. It's kind of, uh, it's disconcerting, but with but with lock on because they're all. It's all about the passion that people have for the games, um, and it's all about the the wonderful artwork, and it's all about the the incredibly well written articles. You can do that. You can jump between them, and there is no disconnect because the passion is still coming through in the words and the art, right? Because. Um, it's easy just to say, oh yeah, well, it's 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 wonderfully written articles, and there's a picture next to it. It's not that at all. It's an amazingly well put together piece of artwork that has been specifically paired with the article. Right? It's not like, oh yeah, we'll just uh, do a Google Images and find some, you know, here's a picture of Lara Croft because there's a Lara Croft yeah. article and just splack it in there. It is actually, it feels very much to me like the writer and the artist have sort of paired up and said, right, okay, I'm going to be writing about this or, okay, so I'm, you know, my, my piece of artwork is going to look like this. It's going to have these elements to it. Brilliant. And now we'll, I will pair up the words with the image and they just, they, they complement each other. Like I suppose a good wine does with it, with a good meal. Right. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I know what you're getting at here. Uh, so when we started, uh, so when I started putting the main design file together, you know, um, on the computer, um, we, you know, I'm going off kind of by the written plan uh, that we have on um, our shared drive, and um, obviously the, fir- the first third or half of the book is all PlayStation, and then it goes on to you know other different titles, and. Uh, you know, me and John were always saying, oh, well, we kind of want this to be illogical, ambiguous, but every single article has to be uniquely different and presented in such a way. Um, it's all, you know, with normal magazines or books, they, fo- they normally follow a strict uh, colour scheme or template. You know, there's a lot of pages that are very white, usually. And... Um, when I first started putting the design file together, you know, I'm putting in all of the artwork first, but then for the pages that go with them, I was, you know, picking the colour from the artwork and then putting that onto the backgrounds of, you know, the surrounding pages for those articles. And this was just to ensure that 
you know, every every article's gonna have a different colour. You know, the the reader's always gonna be taken on a, a journey where everything's different as they're going through. And then when John came in and did more of worked with the text and stuff, he obviously he's making sure that um along with Elisa as well, his partner in crime, make sure that uh, you know every article's got unique fonts, unique looking titles. And also unique um, text and paragraph layouts. Pardon me. Um, I, I guess what it is, we're go- we're going to stick to our guns on this one. So every time you go to a different article, you, you don't know what to expect. Um, it's always going to be different. Um, it, I, I guess I'd liken it to a box of chocolates where you don't know what chocolates you're going to have but you don't know what you're going to pick out and you don't know what it's going to taste like until you've read it. And it's up to people what order they want to read things in. I mean, I'm sure when you read the contents, you're going to see the different headlines and the game titles, if there are any, and then whatever relates to you the best, I guess you might go and read them first. Or or you might read it in you know chronological order in terms of the page numbering. Uh, but yeah, it's... It's never going to be straightforward. It's always, and I, I, I guess that's where we're going to be. You know, we like to be a bit different, really, because that's what Lock On is. It's just a mixture of everything, but with the same, with the theme that you know, it's thoughtful, deepful, meaningful content. So, yeah, we're going to stick. Yeah, we're going to stick to that sort of approach, really. I had um, the. Well, one of the things that I noticed, not the, I'm going to say soft cover because I can't think of yeah. the name. Um, I had the soft cover and I had it on a, a little glass coffee table that I've got because I think it's great for just picking up and thumbing through. And a friend of mine yeah. came over and he said, oh, is this a lock on there? I said, yeah, let's have a quick look. So he was, he was going to go have a quick look. And I was walking to the other end of the house to go in the kitchen to put the kettle on. And he said, there's this orange thing. Can I take it off? And I know how heavy handed he was. So I turned around and I legged it and I ripped the book out of his hand <laughs> and I went, don't. I know what you're gonna do. I'll take it off. You'll you'll pop it off and get rid of the glue. I'll take it off. You be bloody careful with this. So I I never ran so fast in my life. Don't you don't no no. <laughs> yeah, the OB strip, right? Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, just I, I never panicked so much. I thought, no, you don't. No, you don't. Because I knew what he was gonna do. He was either gonna try and pop it off with his thumb, or he, he usually gets his keys out and cuts. No, you don't. I just, oh, I just thought, no, no, panic, pure panic. Don't you dare leave it. Or you don't touch it. You know. Ugh. Oh, I, was... I, I honestly do. Um, I, I do love the the obi strip. Um, so the obi strip is, I believe, it's a piece of sort of Japanese aesthetic design. If you buy a, a book or a a CD or a, those kinds of pieces of media, it usually has a a strip that goes essentially around the object to sort of keep it closed. Um, but there's usually uh, information on there for like, uh, you know, the name of the product and uh, other products that are available sort of thing. Um, you know, I, uh, a bunch of the, the books that I bought while I was in Japan have them on them. And because I'm one of these sort of collector type people, I've kept them exactly as they are. Um, yes. and, and, and it is, it's, it's a wonderful uh, little addition to it, right? It's something that you may not expect coming into it if you'd never, uh, consumed any sort of Japanese no, uh, print I, I, media. I can't think of any other publication or anything in the Western world that's done anything like that. Um, apart from, um, you know, data records, right? Uh, 
their like final mm-hmm. record company that release a lot of Sega soundtracks um, on final at the mm-hmm. moment, and they 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 did something similar for they've done that for all of their records. So I've, on the left of me, I've got uh, Shenmue One and Two uh, final soundtracks, and they've got you know those Japanese style Obi strips, um, and obviously they feature like you know some text on them describing like the contents. So I, I remember talking to John like when we were talking about the front and back cover, you know, we were saying, well, we want to keep this as minimalist as possible, but we're going to feature any text. And obviously we didn't want any text really obstructing the, uh, the integrity of the artwork. You know, we were going to, I mean, for example, when you look at the front covers of your um, books, you'll notice there's no text at all. We were going to have like lock on emblazoned, you know, on the top of the uh, the front cover, you know, on the front of the artwork. But then we decided to keep that to the spine. And then um, J- John came to me and he just said, oh, how about we do some bit like an AB strip? And I thought, well, you're going to have that, you know, wrapping around the spine and wrapping around, or is it going to be like a loop thing, which you could then slide on and slide off? So I think that's a wonderful idea, actually, and uh, that that as well. It's just a very unique aspect of of lock on, because I imagine there's a lot of people out there that don't buy or have an awareness of uh, you know Japanese a lot of Japanese products, you know, import Japanese uh, media um, items, and they're probably like, oh, this is really cool. Not seen anything like this before. But it's also one of those things as well. If you've got OCD, it just it just invites you to mm-hmm. be very careful when taking it off. You know, you don't want to like <laughs> rip off the glue. Yeah. You've just got to slide, you know, very gently shimmy it off. So um, yeah, I'm I, I, I'm I'm really uh, really appreciative that you feel that way about it, Squid. You know, you're trying your best to to keep it brand new, but as well, it's that plastic bag. Uh, cause, I went around to a few of my friends' houses uh, in the past couple of weeks, obviously, to sign their books. And, you know, they were like, oh, I don't know if I want to take it out of the plastic bag. I said, oh, no, I'll be really gentle. I mean, do you want a signed book or not? Well, well yeah, but I don't want to, I don't want to unseal it. No, don't worry. It's not like you're, you're ripping some shrink wrap off a sealed game or whatever. You know, it's just a flap. So, you know, I'm doing this in front of them. I'm gently... You know, taking off that flap and then gently taking the book out, and then you know using a sharpie or what you know pen or whatever to sign the book, and then putting it gently back into the plastic wrapping again. Yeah, it's quite astonishing. There's quite a few people out there trying their best to keep everything sealed and intact. But whereas the whole point of the project was to get something physical in the hands of people to read and get their sweaty hands all over the pages you know what i mean uh, but yeah <laughs> what an interesting turn of events well it's the fact that you say there's a limited amount that's the thing you know yeah, if, yeah. if yeah. they get fingerprints all over it if they need a fresh one they can't no <laughs> well it, I, i'll say to, <laughs> it was funny because in the whatsapp chat last night uh, john was saying that he's getting a lot of messages from people saying oh I really want a physical copy of 001. Uh, how can I get one? Well, you can't. We're, we're sold out. It's all gone. And we did make some available as com- uh, as combos for uh, you know the Kickstarter Volume 2. I believe they're all sold out now at the time of recording. 
but no, uh, we're sticking to our guns. We are never reprinting any of these again. You know that that's it. Uh, I, I said to it. I said in the group. Well, they can always try eBay <laughs> if anyone wants <laughs> one. Aren't they? But that, not that you know that, that I'm encouraging that. But I think it'll be interesting in the months or years to come to see if anyone does put them on eBay and how much the game up to. You know, or it, perhaps you might get people sending them off to UKG to get graded because that's what a lot of people seem to be doing nowadays. Getting there getting the sealed action figures and games uh, all graded and everything. Uh, but I guess that just speaks to the quality of the product and uh, and how people feel about it. You know, and, uh, we're hoping for many years to come, you know, that people will stick with us. And, I mean, obviously, when you're going to get new people on board, uh, I guess they can't go back and get retrospective issues but um it's just one of them things really but yeah i guess being limited run does further you know increase that anxiety and that uh, need <laughs> to uh obviously protect it and to obviously you know stop your friends from you know damaging the product but yeah there you go <laughs> <laughs> That is it's 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 blooming brilliant, I have to say. Um, so there is what I what I'd like to know. Uh, what I'd like to know, Jason, is there's there's this wonderful article in. It, it was one of the standout articles, if I'm honest, um, because it spoke directly to me, and that was uh, "I Have Lived," which yeah. was the piece that you wrote for um, for Lock On Zero Zero One. Yeah, um, thanks and, for the and feels, just, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Well, expecting that. Thanks for the feels. Uh, wow. <laughs> tangentially, I have a question about is is uh, it's just entered into my head. Is volume zero zero seven going to be about spies? <laughs> just a stupid question, you know. Um, What's that? Uh, Re- repeat that yeah. again. <laughs> so, volume double or seven. Volume zero zero. Oh, is it going to be about God, spies? Sl- <laughs> wow, is there ever? <laughs> I was gonna say, you know, I was gonna say, so ever been a decent James Bond game? Cause movie tying games are generally that good, but yeah, Goldeneye. Golden, <laughs> I was playing, I was naughty playing the uh, the HD remaster of that on the on the Xbox, no, on the PC recently. Um, <laughs> who knows? I think that's, I think that's, I think you're onto something there. I think you should pitch that idea. We could probably do a Goldeneye. Yeah, there you go. Double 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 O seven. Let's get. Daniel, let's get an illustration of Daniel Craig or Roger Moore or something. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, yeah, uh, I, <laughs> I mean, that, that it's more John and Andrew now doing, you know, Andrew's uh, took up some things where I've left off, but I'm sure uh, James Bond's uh, part of that conversation. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. <laughs> like I say, just a silly question, you know. There's nothing in it. Just oh, here's a stupid idea. Um, well, not a stupid idea, but you know, stupid because I said it is what I'm saying. <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk. I have lived. Right, because like I say, that's one of the standout articles for me. 
Um, and not just because we're talking to you, the author of the article, but because like it, it really spoke to me because I feel like there's parts of um, the experience that you have that you put into that article. Uh, there's parts of that that uh, ring true for both uh, Squidge and I. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess, I guess, um, could you give us a real brief description of I Have Lived and then we'll sort of talk about it a little. Is that all right, uh, Jason? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, some of the guys, um, I'm, 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 you know, I'm not, um, I'm not afraid to say this, but I'm not a writer. I've never written anything before. It, it was never my intention to, um, you know, to do any writing when I came on board with this. Um, maybe it's something I wanted to do years ago. I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I, I maybe dreamed years ago that you know I'd, I'd like to work for a write for a gaming magazine, but um, the f- the thing with Lockon, especially when talking about the PlayStation content, for me, and uh, I, I guess this is a few I have about gaming. For, for me, gaming is one of the most powerful tools of storytelling, you know, in the medium, and uh, although. Although it's, I guess the industry could maybe be said still in an in infancy in a way, but in terms of perception, you, you know, you come across people that will just say, "Oh, it's only a video game." You know, it's it's just a video game. But when, when we're thinking about books and movies, you know, most people of all ages and backgrounds will have like an appreciation for that throughout their life that you know that there's a powerful piece of storytelling that resonates with them. And I've always argued that gaming can just can do that just as well as a movie, a book, or TV show. And um, so, what I mean by that, when when we were talking about the content that we were going to do for PlayStation, uh, I said it's absolutely important that we get something out there which you know can speak to the hearts of um, people that you know pl- that grew up. Or, you know, played the PlayStation back in uh, the late 90s. You know, uh, the PlayStation came at a time, uh, you know, along with the Saturn as well. It came at a time where, you know, we were moving from 2D gaming to 3D gaming. And that opened up a massive plethora of, um, you know, possibilities. And I guess PlayStation, PlayStation 1 was one of the, the most mainstream uh, products out there to do that and uh, obviously you know you've got pc as well and other systems that obviously entered the 3d realm at the same time but that also increased the uh you know uh, an infinite amount of possibilities for how you could tell a story in a game and uh you know john suggested that i write something about the playstation one you know and originally i was going to talk about the playstation classic and how my experience with that reminded me of you know, being a kid and growing up with it. But then he said, he said to me one day, he said, you know what? So I wrote, I wrote something. He said, you know what, Jason, you, you've got quite, um, you know, you've got quite a past and a history. Um, I, I, I feel like when you talk about video games, you know, you, you, have, you have a lot of emotional weight to it. You had, you had that emotional weight and that baggage. And I want you to tell someone that's really passionate and emotional and gritty you know, because of the circumstances you've come from. So, you know, I always remember um, an advert from the late 90s called Double Life, which uh, Sony produced in London, you know, it was to obviously promote the PlayStation, which, you know, 
was a giant at that point in time. Even when the Dreamcast had been released, you know, the next generation system, the PlayStation was still at its peak. You know, it it was synonymous with most of the gaming population, you know, in the world, I guess. And there was this advert, and uh, you know, people from all different walks of life. You know, whether they're young, old, criminal, whatever, you know, talking about their their life with the PlayStation, this double life that they're leading, where you know they're, they're going by their normal daily lives during the day, whether that's school or a job, but at night they're transported to these different worlds, whether it's they're they're a, a champion racer or they're committing heinous crimes or, you know, shooting, killing or, or they're going on a, an adventure to this fantastical world beyond their wildest imagination. Mm. And uh, that advert always spoke volumes to me. And I, I, I felt like I wanted to, with I have, I wanted to write I have lived and I wanted to basically talk about the experience of first playing the PlayStation and then, you know, buying it and then experiencing some of these key moments of gaming history these games which changed the landscape of gaming forever but also going on about i guess the stem of the story and i had to change the first paragraph of this a few times because when i've fully written the article um, i showed it to some various family members and and some people and obviously some people were entirely happy with what I'd written. Uh, it was a lot grittier than it than the version that you've read. Mm. Uh, a lot more, um, yeah, a lot more emotional. Really, um, I'd I'd take some stuff out of there, but um, basically, the, the stem of the story. I've I've met a lot of people in my life where you know um, I've talked about you know my life experience and um, you know uh, a lot of people I grew up with. You know, uh, they all went on holidays as kids, you know, holidays abroad. They had like a nice family, you know, setting where they've got brothers and sisters and both parents around. I, I, I never had that, you know, a single parent. Uh, you know, my mum raised me up alone, a uh, single child, and, um, you know, we didn't have a lot. You know, my dad, my dad was in and out of my life, and, um, uh, for me, I, I never went on holiday, but for me, uh, on a personal level, um, you know, uh, the happiest uh, memories of my childhood were the PlayStation, and uh, that might sound absolutely ridiculous to some people. And I, you know, I've had various conversations where, you know, people say, "Oh, you know, we've been on holiday and all of this." What well, you've never been on holiday? No, well, you've not lived. Well, I, I, I have lived. You know, I. I grew up with this system, you know, I went to school and at night, you know, I played these games like Final Fantasy VII, Metal Gear Solid, Mercy mm. Evil. They, they, for me, they were the happiest memories of my childhood. And I had quite a few friends as well who, you know, from single parent families and, you know, everyone had a PlayStation at school, you know, we all had PlayStation. A lot of us played a lot of the same games apart from that my mum let me play anything I want, she let me watch anything I want. You know, um, any final film, whatever. You know, um, I was one of the only kids that got Resident Evil 2 when it came out. But um, the thing is, whenever I, I've met a lot of people where I've, you know, I've talked about how PlayStation was my favourite memories of my childhood. 
and the you know absolutely flabbergasts them. You know uh, the fact that it, that's ridiculous. You know that's that's a bit sad, really. And it's like, well, well, no, that's just me. That's how I feel. You know, uh, hence I have lived. We have lived. And you know, a lot of us have. You know, you know, we can recount memories from our childhood. Of, you know, that moment we went to Alton Towers. That moment we had this great beach holiday or we had this great day at Skegness at the arcades but I can guarantee there's loads of people out there that when they look back on if they grew up as a kid in like the 80s and 90s a lot of them will probably say oh god do you remember when um a first place Sonic or played on the PlayStation or the snares the Mega Drive and those are legitimate memories just like you know people recount um a favourite film from their childhood. That that, that's a, that can be a memory for them. So I wanted to write something which spoke to the heart of gamers, you know, relatable content, because that, that's one of the, the important things for Lockon. I feel, although we talk about stuff for people, you know, where we're hopefully going to get people to discover certain indie games, but we also want to have that nostalgic content where, mm. you know, we can... We can reignite some old pastimes and memories for people. And the PlayStation is just, you know, it's synonymous with a lot of you know, a lot of people. It was a big part of many people's childhoods. So that was the intent of the article. It was also to get more, just my story, because I'm sure a lot of other people have got a similar story or background to me. But just to speak to the hearts of other gamers and to create a conversation because I genuinely feel at the moment, I, I throughout lockdown, I didn't really interact with a lot of people on social media, especially in the gaming community. I've, you know, I've had a lot of difficult times of online gaming, and um, you know, I started talking to more people, but I get this impression that when I go through Twitter every day, there's a lot more negative than there is positive. Yeah, you know, there's. There's all this console wars stuff going on all the time. Xbox versus PlayStation. There's too much of an overemphasis on graphics. There's a lot of d- waving, and you know, Jay, we've had conversations about this before. And um, yeah. but there's there's barely any conversations which talk about the design of a game, the mechanics of a game, the storytelling of a game. You, you, you know, there's not there's not enough talking about that, and I. I was just hoping that whoever reads my article, if there's someone that talks a lot about graphics and being competitive, and well, I just hope that kind of just reminds them, this is what gaming should be about. This is what how we should be talking about gaming. But as well, I wanted to get something across in the article to people that are probably parents or people that used to game and don't game anymore, or, or to get a conversation going with people that, skeptical about gaming but for me i feel video games uh, are really powerful obviously powerful storytelling tools but also good educational tools because for for me i i had father figures coming in and out of my life you know my mum worked all the hours god sent i was on my own a lot or i had the company of friends or some family members that used to look after me but I feel that with my emotional intelligence growing up and shaping myself as a person, I feel like video games or certain video games in a way help raise me, help me grow my personality and that emotional intelligence growing up, uh, my sense of morality and values. 
Although in some games, you know, you're committing crimes or you're playing the hero or, you know, you're driving or, or whatever, uh, I feel games gave me a lot of transferable skills, you know, um, whether it's inventory management, how to deal with certain conversations or certain emotions. I, I genuinely feel games are such really good tools for that. And I feel I feel strongly that, you know, if you're raising children, video games to a certain degree should be part of their life. It's good mental exercise. It, they're just good educational tools dependent on the game. So I, the whole thing, I, I, I feel that I'm, I'm my own biggest critic. I feel with I, I have lived, I guess reading back on it, you know, it can be disjointed in some ways, but I guess there's a theme going on and it's basically just to educate and inspire people. But it's just to tell them that, you know, this is what gaming should be about. You know, you know, they can tell good stories. We can educate you with these games, but just to remember that gaming isn't about what console's best or whether this game has better graphics over that. It's about the experience don't matter how good the graphics are or, or whatever. It's about the mechanics, about the design of that game. You know, it's it's about games being fun. That, that's what we play games for. Is it's about escapism. It's about fun. It's about going into a different world. You know, um, just leaving the real world for for a bit. Whether you're feeling sad in real life or you need to get away from something. You know, it's, it's about the experience. It's about, and I think for me, the best conversations I have about video games with people is obviously nostalgic content, but it's just about talking about the games themselves. And I think, I think, I think there's a lot of people that just don't have that at the moment. I, I guess there's people of all ages, you know, arguing about video games and talking about video games in a certain way on social media. But when I come across all of that sort of negative content, you know, it's just, this isn't what gaming should be about. If you read I Have Lived, that's that's how we should be engaging gaming nowadays, I feel. And I, I'm just hoping that that article can just resonate with people and just remind them about, and that, you know, this is what gaming should be about. And it's I'm just hoping that this has a positive influence on people. Mm. But at the same time, obviously, reminds them of how great and pivotal the PlayStation 1 was in the gaming world. You know, imagine if Nintendo and say, no, sorry, Nintendo and Sony had never fallen out and we never had the PlayStation 1. You know, where would we be today in terms of gaming? But as well, um, also to get across to people out there how powerful storytelling is in gaming. I mean, I obviously emphasise a lot on Final Fantasy VII and you know there's a lot of people out there that have played that game and uh, obviously I've reminded them of a certain thing that happens you know at the end of this one <laughs> I'm getting goosebumps believe me right when I was ty- when I was typing all of that and uh, you know I had the uh, soundtrack playing you know I just thought I'd play this I'd play that certain thing you know you, you both know it and just I'm typing away and I've got tears streaming down my face and you know I, I'm okay to admit that as a human being you know it's okay to cry or it's okay for men to cry whatever you know uh, I'm crying as I, as I type that because 
that to me just it just shows how powerful gaming can be as a storytelling tool you know and 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 obviously for people reading that were that have experienced that game you know it it reminds me of that situation Uh, that's just that that's something that a lot of us can connect on and relate to because when we're talking about like you know our happiest memories growing up I bet there's a lot of us that can say, well, you know, got playing Final Fantasy VII on the PS1 and going through that, you know, especially as a young child. That that really uh, allowed me to grow as a person. It, it, it made me... Pre- it, it, I've not had many people in my life die, you know, I've not been to many funerals, but for me, I feel like that was a tragic event of my childhood. Although it wasn't real, it was a video game, but... That was something from my past. I feel that I've, I've felt it made me feel something, you know. So that's part of my history, and I, I guess that's part of a shared history that we as gamers that witnessed that have together. Mm. So I, 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 I'm guessing it. I know the written content we've got is fantastic. You know, most of the content we've got is from people that do this for a living. I never intended to write anything, but I took I took a shot at this, and the aim was to just to write something that reach to the hearts of other gamers and I hope I've done a good job of that but and I, you know, I've had a bit of feedback from other people that have singled me out on Twitter um, and it, that's just great that I know that I've reached out to some people that I've, I've connected with other people and I've you know um, sparked something within them so I hope you enjoyed it guys <laughs> Hey everyone I just wanted to jump in and let you know that I was recently, at the time of releasing this episode anyway, on a show called The Gamerhood Podcast. I'd recommend this show for gamers who are also parents, regardless of your gender identity or the role that you play in the lives of any children that you have. Each of the episodes revolves around the gaming and fatherhood advice of the guests, and there are some truly amazing nuggets of information in each one. Anyway... I was on episode 23, which was called Be the Soundboard with podcast guru Gaprogman. Definitely go check it out, and I'll leave a link directly to it in the show notes. In this episode, we talked about my system for only playing one game at a time, and how difficult that actually is, some advice for podcasters, and there are plenty of tangents too, because you know I love my tangents, right? But there's loads more in that episode, actually, because it came out just under two hours long, so definitely check it out, and I'll leave a link to it in the show notes. Anyway, uh, back to the show. Absolutely. Like I said, it, 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 it rang so true for me. Um, not, not every single element of it, but I think that there are, there are parts that sort of reached out and went, Hey, Jay, you know, this is you, you know? And, and, and I think that, for, like you said, for a lot of people who are of um, our generation. You know, there's a, there's a certain age gap between the three of us, but for for a lot of people of that are of our generation that grew up with maybe what Sega and Nintendo had to offer and what uh, yeah. Sony had to offer, just just that that all of those memories and adventures that we went on are are they they did indeed shape us. Like um, if you go back two hundred years, right? the same types of stories would have been told to um, children as they're growing up. 
to teach them how to deal with certain emotions and certain situations. The literal difference is that instead of being uh, passively hearing the details of what happened to the hero as they went through the, these trials and tribulations, you know, you are fully in control of what's happening to that, maybe not to that hero, but you are fully in control of what the hero is doing and how the situation and the fallout from that situation is is happening, right? And and I think that a lot of people who sort of poo-poo on video games being, oh, it's this, you know, you, it's a childish thing, it's not a, it's not a, a, an, an immersive thing. That's mainly because they've never played a, a title mm-hmm. that is story driven you know and and final fantasy 7 uh, you would argue that all you could argue that all of the final fantasies are story driven um tomb raider whilst it has the running jumping tumbling shooting element to it there is a story there you know the greater story is that you know lara croft is looking for this artifact that she's always been looking for for her entire life that um she was put onto the trail of by her father and her father has has, has since passed and it is a way for her to sort of reconnect with that adventure that she had with her father when they were trying to first look for it. Um, Metal Gear Solid is is a on the face of it, it's a let's sneak around yeah. and and hide in cardboard yeah. boxes, knock on walls, listen to listen to people say, "What was that noise?" But it's actually the 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 first of the the Metal Gear Solid titles. There were obviously titles before that, but the first one for the PlayStation is a very in depth look at the ethics and morals of cloning people and terrorism. And you know, yeah, okay, so there's Otacon and he wets himself, but he is a person who has been hired to do a job. And he didn't. Re- he's basically Nedry from uh, Jurassic Park, except he's the other way. Nedry is malicious. He's decided to build the computer systems so that he could break in and steal stuff. Otacon is literally there just to do a job. He's the person on, who gets blown up on the Death Star because he was hired by the Empire to clean the Death Star, right? He doesn't want to be there. He's just doing the job that is in front of him because he's been paid by these people to set up a computer system. It, on Shadow Moses Island, he doesn't know what they do, and and could you hand on heart say you know exactly what your employer does? No, you can't, right? And 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 these are these are stories that are crafted. Yes, they're wrapped up in the in the sort of actiony. Let's play loads of fun, uh, and let, let let's play a game, and let's have loads of fun, and you know, supreme graphics and stuff. But like you say, they are teaching people, or they are exploring these uh, these morals and ideas. The same morals and ideas that um, movies explore and TV shows explore and books explore, except you're no longer mm-hmm. passive. You are active in the actual, uh, the as the story is in is unfolding. And in some time, in some games, you can decide how the story sure. unfolds because you are given yeah. choices. Do you want to go over here or do you want to go over there? You know, and and I feel like by giving the player that choice, like you say, it, it increases their emotional intelligence. It gives the player the chance to decide, if I was in this situation, what would no, I do? Um, yeah, go, go on, Squid, you just go say something, won't you? Um, I, I just, when I was reading that, the first thing I thought was, um, you mentioned a couple of games that I played when I got a PlayStation first, so you're like Crash Bandicoot, Resident Evil, you know, and... Um, Reading that and sort of like thinking about games coverage and people I've talked to, it's quite weird because 
a lot of the people that I've talked to about games, apart from a select few, graphics always comes up, and I don't know why, because they, I mean, yeah, the, yeah. the machines we have now are mm. bloody powerful, right? They really are, but back in the day, it was, I mean, especially for me, it was more of a story, prime example, first PC I ever got, right, was a sped-up Pentium 133, right? It had a Nokia fascia front cover on it, you know, for the for the front, and um, I got a game back then. Yes. It was a Medal of Honor Allied Assault. Never <laughs> played, never played a first person shooter before. First time yeah. using um, QWERTY keyboard controls and what have you. I was lucky if I got fifteen frames a second playing that. Right, with all the graphic settings to zero, that's the lowest I could get. But I can tell you right now, I sat through the entire thing and completed it running that slow. Just for the story and the atmosphere. It looked like ass, I'll, I'll say it. But it was just the story and the atmosphere. And then I sort of realized that graphics has never bothered me. Because I'm always looking for an engaging story, unique gameplay. I mean, prime example, my, my favorite Resident Evil game is on the Game Boy Color. <laughs> it's Resident Evil Gaiden. You compare that to any other Resident Evil game, which, which I describe as an action-adventure game with rock band elements. Right, and where timing is, is you really need timing. But for me, it just sticks out. It's not the quirkiness, the uniqueness of it. It's the fact of it's a story surrounding Barry Burton, and he's going on a ship to try and save someone before Revelations did it, God knows how many years later. But if I tell that to people, look at me like I just fell out of a tree. You what? A Resident Evil game? You're like a Game Boy Color game. That's your best Resident Evil game. Yes. Why? Because it just, it just does it. It just hits that very unique spot for me for like best Resident Evil game I've ever played. Well, what about this? What about Village? What about Seven? No. Game Boy Color one. I'll take that one over anything. You know, because... I, I think as well, you, you're pointing at something there, Squidge, that video games allow storytellers, developers, designers... Um, all of these people to it allows them to explore these ideas um, with what if we built a, a computer system that had uh, essentially a rock band interface for mm. playing a game would it work would it not we don't know until we get it into the user's hands right mm. yeah, it's just I, I just it's very hard to, for me to find people who can look back on games have that nostalgia for games for like PlayStation era and before, and actually, even in polite conversation or just a conversation with a friend, have them not rip it to bits because of the graphics. And it's really odd for me mm -hmm. because there's so many awesome games for for the older consoles, you know, re retro style. There's there's so many awesome games if you just give them a chance, but no, because it doesn't have ray tracing, <laughs> you know. It doesn't bother me. Like I, I recently played. I recently acquired, yeah. played, and completed Resident Evil Village. And one of the things that struck me to that is it is a gorgeous game. It really is, and the the, the gameplay is quite compelling. It's a lot more action orientated than Seven. But one of the things in the the settings menu stuck out to me and said, "What do you want to prioritize? Frame rate or quality?" And I just thought, well, I want to be able to play the damn game. I'll just go for frame rate. I haven't stuck on quality yet. I don't want to. Because the quality of the game on the PS4 is just, it's astounding. But I don't want to, I don't want to push it the other way in case it starts chugging again. Not that it bothers me, but I just thought I've, I've gone through the experience one, it, once. It ran all right. I'll just keep it at that. I don't care. 
if graphics start not showing up properly, you know, the gameplay is there, the story is there, really good stories there, you know, and that's what gets me, it's what hooks me into a game. And reading that article, I just realized that, yeah, for the time, it might have had some very iconic uh, lines being read, but Resident Evil, just awesome game. I still play it to this day, Resident Evil 2. I still play it to this day because it's, it's one of those where I think both of them are timeless. Just absolutely timeless. Anyone mentions it, I get this warm, fuzzy feeling and these thoughts of, you know, first time seeing Mr. X and first time seeing Black Tiger and countless amount of times I died against the tyrant on the first one. It's just <laughs> a mixture of warm, fuzzy, nostalgic feelings and pure rage for how much that game really annoyed me. <laughs> but it's that that's what that when I was reading that article, it's a long winded way to say it, when I was reading that article, I was getting all them coming back, just flashing back floods of them. And that's where I said, "Yeah, thanks for the feels. I really needed that." Uh, <laughs> but it was it for me. That's what it did. It brought back all the all things I'd, I hadn't even thought about in years. You know, it was just a really nice, well written piece, and um, I, I'm, I'm better better off for reading it. Actually, I think. I don't know if it's a generational thing as well. I mean, uh, yeah, when the NES Classic came out, um, you know, I was trying to play some of the games on there. And obviously with 8-bit graphics, you know, the games felt quite archaic. And, I, you know, I didn't grow up with the NES, but, um, <laughs> it, uh, but then obviously growing up with that, the snares, the Mega Drive, and especially the PlayStation, I, I, get, I, I just wonder if for us it's also nostalgia. You know, um, there's a lot of... I just wonder if a lot of people arguing about graphics nowadays, uh, obviously some of graphic whores, but it's some of the younger people where there's a sense of entitlement that, well, what we have today, that's the best and anything before that's crap. You, you, you know, um, talking about Resident Evil, and you know what, good for you if um, Gaiden is your favourite, you know, I'm guessing the storyline of that's obviously immersed you in such a way, and you know the it, the gameplay's there. I mean, um, going up. So looking back on Resident Evil, uh, Code Veronica has always been my favourite. And obviously, when you're talking about tank controls and all of that, a lot of people think. Uh, I think even a lot of people back then thought those controls were archaic and hard to handle. But for me. Resident Evil is tank controls, you know. I, I feel at home with it. You know, I I played yeah. Resident Evil two and three last year, the original ones. On my you know, on my PS3. On the you know, the, I've got the US NTSC bombs of them on the PS3 and uh, you know, just play through them. I absolutely loved them. You know, just felt like God, I, I could play these all day. So I used to play them to death. The amount of times I played Resident Evil Two as a kid, I used to yeah. also have kids crew around my house to sit down and watch me play it. I could go through each scenario again and again and again like clockwork, you know. But I guess we, for me, Code Veronica. I mean, when when that came out, I didn't have a Dreamcast. I didn't know much about it. But I sold every, I sold a lot of stuff just to get a copy of the game. And I had a friend at school who was the only one I knew that had the Dreamcast. And I remember paying him a tenner to let me borrow the Dreamcast for a weekend, just so I could, I could play through it all. And people look back on that game and say, oh, it's horrible to play. It wasn't, it's not a good Resident Evil. 
I think with Code Follicker, for me, it was a forbidden fruit back then because you always yearn for something you can't have or don't have. And for me, I didn't have the Dreamcast yet. So that game was like kind of like a holy grail item for me to play. And I still feel that wonderment about it to this day. But it was also a good family drama. You know, the Redfields and Wesker. And especially with uh, Code Follicker X, I did in those Wesker cutscenes. And I'm still in awe of the game today. I'd rather see the play in the older Resident Evils than the newer ones. And that, that's just me. Although Village is a great game, it didn't feel like a Resident Evil game for me. Mm. You know, uh, that's that, that's just my opinion. But uh, Resident Evil has always been about the tank control games for me. And, you know, it, even when going to Resident Evil 4, that felt like a different series to me back then. I got that. I I imported that way before it came out in the UK, and uh, you know that just it didn't feel like I was evil. But I, I, I guess when you're looking back at all the games as well, that we I'm playing Silent Hill Two on the PS3 at the moment for my sins, and I, I know I know I know the HD masters <laughs> were horribly done, and I have got the ability to play it um, mm. on something called a PCSX2. We won't go to emulation or the ethics of emulation. I did back up a disc, by the way, just for viewers out there, my old PS2 disc, which I don't have anymore. But anyway, I'm playing through that at the moment. And when you're running around the town environments, you know, in the fog, you know, the frames drop to about 15 and it's chugging and it's awful. And it feels yeah. really sluggish to play nowadays, especially in the combat. But I'm loving it. You know, it's it's got this antiquated uh, charm about it, and the frames go back up to thirty when you go through like the apartment block, and you know if you remember the game, you know going through the hospital and everything. I'm absolutely enjoying yeah. it because it's not just about the graphics or even the gameplay; it's about the atmosphere. You know, the game can play like a crock of shit. It doesn't matter yeah. as long as you're enjoying it. You know. Um, I'm absolutely. I'm soaking up the atmosphere in the story, and I feel like I don't need a remake of this game. The, the character models, the environments, they still look really compelling. They, they really did back then on the PS2. I remember getting it for Christmas, two thousand and one. You know, it's about you know it's about the presentation, presentation, and how that speaks out to you. Don't matter about the graphics, but again. As we've said, a lot of people nowadays are just focusing on graphics. You know, a lot of people talking about the PS5. Mm. You know, oh, all oh, this game's crap if it don't play in 60 frames or 120 frames. Oh, but Xbox can do this and it can do that. But on the Switch, oh, this game plays really crap on the Switch. I don't care as long as the game, as long as I enjoy the game, that's what matters. Don't... Don't matter if you're playing Resident Evil Village on the PS4 or something. I know Andrew, uh, he hasn't got a PS5 yet or an Xbox Series X. He played Village through on the PS4 and he absolutely adored it. That's great. As long as the game works and is functional, that's what matters. And that's just something lost at the moment. I've, I've even got friends in a chat group from school at the moment. And I feel like I can't have an intelligent conversation with them about video games because all they're bothered about is Grand Theft Auto or FIFA or, or how you know oh well, uh, 
be there. Oh, I had to get PS5 because I've, I've got to play games on a 4K television, you know, maxed out at 60 frames or 120 frames. And then you've got someone else in the group who's like, oh, but I've got Game Pass. I've, you know, oh, the Xbox Series, it's got this ray tracing, it's got this um, VRS. Or, I, I mean, I don't care about the gory details as long as it, work, as long as it works. I on a on a shoestring budget. Yeah. So I'm getting a bit of a list here because I've been talking for ages. When I start when I started my games design course at Otex <laughs> at the University of Lincoln, I needed a decent PC to do 3D modelling and you know to, to make mods for Half Life Two on Hammer Editor. But I wanted to play Crisis because I've, you know it, it, I wanted to. I had enough of a maintenance grant from the uni to build a decent PC. And this, I guess this is where I contradicted myself here. I wanted to make some of it that was like fully graphical competent, you know, that had the best best graphics. So, mm. you know, I, I went and did some research to get all these components. So I wanted to run the crisis at a competent level. And this was me thinking, well, oh, graphics are really important here, you know. And then uh, I went and I built a PC for about... £900 and I bought Crisis but I could only run it on low settings but you know what I, I was just like look the game looks alright and I guess it's not all about graphics it was ahead of its time when I talk to people right, on Twitter and that and uh, I, I, I feel people take me the wrong way sometimes but all I'm trying to do is have an intellectual conversation you know, talk about something from both. You know, mm. if you talk about you've got to be careful. You talk about Xbox and PlayStation, but talk about things in a very impartial and neutral way. You know, um, I'll, I'll say this: I'm not the biggest fan of Microsoft. That's not because of Xbox. That's just because of their cloud systems and their operating systems, and themselves as an organization, as an American organization. You know. I've got nothing against Xbox. I just happen to disagree with some aspects of what Game Pass is, what the perception of it is, and the way they want to approach game design and manage and publish games. That doesn't mean I hate Xbox. And I've had a few people call me out and will say, oh, but you're, you're, you're very Sony-leaning or you're very PlayStation-leaning. No, I don't. I'm not a PlayStation fan. I, I love video games as a whole. I just want, mm. I'm just protective of the art form. You know, I just, I'm just questioning Game Pass, I guess, or other aspects of gaming because it's something I don't fully understand yet. And I feel there's a lot of, there's a lot of people out there as well that don't have an awareness or appreciation of what it takes to design and put, produce a game. You've got people whinging about games being £70 or $70, but games are actually cheaper than they used to be if you count in inflation. And, you know, and but you've also got to appreciate that back in the 90s, um, there were probably only about 40 people working on Resident Evil 2, but on Resident Evil 2 Remake, you probably had about 600 people around the world collaboratively working on the production and development of that game. And that costs a lot of money. If you look at a, a single-player Sony game, and again, I'm not leaning into place, you know, leaning up, being a PlayStation fanboy. If you look at God of War, that took $200 million to produce. 
And there was probably about north of 400 people working on that. Yeah. But then if you look back at the PlayStation 2 original title, you probably had a lot smaller amount of people working on it and a lot smaller budget. So games have to recoup costs, especially if they have not got DLC or microtransactions. Now, with Game Pass, my, my understanding mm. of Game Pass is it's a subscription model, but where does the money come through from? Sorry to produce those big AAA games they want to push out in there. So they're going to have those games are going to be games as a service where game the game will be released, I guess, in little chunks at a time, but will also rely on that um, in, you know further income and revenue to bolster the development, like DLC, microtransactions and such. So you, you get a lot of people that are arguing over a lot of stuff on the internet, I guess, that don't fully understand what they're talking about, but also not reading body language. So what I'm trying to say here, because I'm going off on tangents, is when I try to interact with people, I just want an, in- an interaction about the games from a neutral and impartial viewpoint yeah, and then an intellectual viewpoint. You know, there shouldn't be all this arguing all the time. And I know it's difficult, but gaming should be fun. It, you know, it's a hobby we all share, so it, we should be talking about, I, I guess I'm being all fantastical, these sugars and rainbows here, but we should be talking about the joy of gaming, not not how much processing speed the console's got or whether or not it could push out 60 frames accurately at 1080p or 4. four I, I lose track of all of mm. you, you know, these technical points and that, but that's what's lost at the moment. And uh, it's unfortunate. But it is what it is. And I'm just glad that, you know, uh, I've actually built a network of people around me on Twitter where you can have these deep and meaningful conversations about games. And I guess with Lockon, we also get the sense that the people buying Lockon as well are those kind of people that want those sort of conversations and want that sort of meaningful content. So, yeah, there we are. Mm. absolutely love all of that absolutely and um not to put too fine a fine a point on it but if you look at the technical specifications the hardware inside of the ps5 and the xbox series x there's two model numbers in the graphics card and everything else is the same right so complaining oh well xbox can do this and playstation can do Mm. that it's the same hardware dude quite literally the difference is the operating system that it runs on um, and then, uh, you know, there's a point you, you talked there about um, mm. the the techno babble, mm. and it is actually called techno babble. I've been reading this book recently called uh, uh, Spoony Bards and Silverware, which is all about um, how the SNES was it's seen as a as a critical success, but it was actually a complete failure. Um, and it talks about the the adverts that were put out to compare compare the SNES to the Genesis in the US. So that's the Mega Drive for anyone outside of the US. And Nintendo's articles were just full of techno babble. Uh, oh, they the their main CPU can run at twenty one point seven seven megahertz, which is five times faster than the PlayStation. But what they didn't say was it actually runs three times slower than that because the slowest component in the system has to. You know, the whole system runs as fast as the slowest component of the system, and one third of the time it's running as slow as the slowest component in the system. 
And so, you know, it, it's complete techno bubble. When people talk about, oh, but, but it doesn't have ray tracing literally unplayable, right? There's an episode of one of my uh, ranty episodes, Roll With J Graphics versus Gameplay, where I quite literally stopped the episode partway through and go, go on then, tell me what ray tracing is. You can't. Hmm, I wonder why. Because it is quite literally technobabble that the, the layperson doesn't know what it is or what it's about, um, but they need it, right? And it's desperately required. But they really don't. It's, <laughs> it's not required at all. Um, because, you know, do you need ray tracing to enjoy a book? No. <laughs> you know, do you need um, 60 frames a second to enjoy a TV show? No. Yeah, it will enhance the experience, but it doesn't change mm. the way that the story will unfold, you know? It just, a, I, I agree with nice you, Jason, extra. it grinds my gears. <laughs> it's a nice, things like that are just nice little extras. You don't need them for the core experience. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And as someone who understands these things and has implemented a lot of these things, I can tell you, it's, it's for, for a fast, if you're playing like a Call of Duty where everything's going at a million miles a second and you're running around and, you know, there's explosions happening mm-hmm. and you're stabbing people in the neck and shooting people or whatever, you're not going to miss the fact that it doesn't have ray tracing. You're not going to miss that it doesn't have HDR. You are not going to miss the difference. Like, people will, will probably be telling me that I'm wrong, but the majority of people playing games like Call of Duty or FIFA are not going to see the difference between 60 frames a second and 120 frames a second. It's just that simple. But it, it is that simple because some people's eyes physically can't pick up the, the change yeah. in the frames that that are happening that quickly. You know, some people just don't have the ability to do that. So for the majority of people, they're not going to notice. And like you said, Jason, you know, to... Uh, to paraphrase a, a an anti oh no to, yeah to paraphrase an advert when the fun stops you stop mm. you know because it, it, it's pointless it, all of these arguments are just kind of pointless and you brought up the console wars thing right and this goes all the way back oh, to, yeah. the, to the playgrounds for when people of our generation were small and that was because your parents could afford to buy one video game console and maybe, if you were lucky, a handful of games every year, right? And so you, if, if your mum bought you a Nintendo, then you loved the Nintendo. If your mum bought you a Mega Drive, you loved the Mega Drive. If somehow your, your parents bought you a Philips CDR, <laughs> then, you know, history says that you were the unfortunate one, but you loved it, you know what I mean? Because uh-huh. it was the thing that you had. Right, and and that's where the console wars come from. Well, I've got a CDI and it's awesome. Why is it awesome? Because it is. Well, I've got a Super Nintendo and it's awesome. But why is it? Because it is. Right, and that's that is the root of all of these. And it is. It's just brand. It's brand loyalty taken to the extreme. Right, mm. and really, we should just be completely accepting of. Oh, cool! You've got a Nintendo DS. Oh, what's your favorite game? Oh man, my favorite game for the Nintendo DS was, and here's why. That's what we should do. No, you have a Nintendo DS. Don't you realize that Nintendo have stopped producing those? Who cares whether they've stopped producing them or not, right? Is this person having fun playing the Nintendo DS? Then leave them be, right? Mm. That's the important thing. I agree with you there, Ron. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It, yeah. it, It just gets... It just gets on my nerves. I, I think more people talk about video games than to play them nowadays. The way I see things on Twitter, 
Oh, um, I mean, uh, not mm. that I've got anything against collectors, but like I see a lot of people that just post pictures of a case all the time, or they've, they've bought loads of games, like PS2 games from a charity shop or something, and they're building up like this collection of thousands of games and that. But then I remember speaking to some bloke one time, and I said, I said to him. Like you've bought all these games and you, you, I keep seeing on my feed that you're putting all these pictures up, but are you going to play any of these games? And he said, well, no. But why? So why are you collecting them all then? Because I want to. Um, I don't know. It's, I've got a friend. He, he tried to get a complete PS1 collection, but he never plays games. And I said, but why are you doing this? Oh, because I want to collect them all, but do you want to play any of the games? It should be for playing. But that's just my opinion anyway. But, you know, I don't know. Mm. Oh, I don't yeah, know. right. So, um, so let's let's talk a little bit about um, how folks can find out about Lock On and Lost in Cult and how they can get in touch with you. And hopefully they can talk about gameplay over graphics, right? They're not going to say anything horrible <laughs> like, ah, oh, the Xbox can do... Five million frames a second, and the and the yeah, don't, don't trigger PlayStation anyone. One can only. <laughs> well, yeah, who cares I, I, about who cares I mean, about text? If I want right? to trigger someone, I'd just say, "Well, my my OG OG Xbox can play more games than the bloody Series X, more the classics." Anyway, you know, um, I, I, I absolutely oh, yeah. love the OG Xbox. <laughs> yeah, I totally love it. But anyway, it's a conversation for another time, really. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess backwards compatibility is one of those uh, testing issues. But at the end of the day, you know, let's just play games and love games and we'll get along with each other. Mm. We're all family here. Yeah. But any, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, right. So if you want to get in touch with me, uh, I'm going to push myself here first and foremost, uh, I guess. Okay. Um, if you want to get in touch with me, it is at Play Sushi UK. And that's on Twitter at the moment. I'm going to look at other things in the future. Or I might resurrect my YouTube channel again. Um, but yeah, uh, for all things Lock On and Lost in Cult, um, first and foremost, Lost in Cult, you can go to lostincult.co.uk. Um, you can find information about the releases on there and also the Kickstarter. And um, I haven't got a link that I can describe at the moment. But if you go onto Kickstarter at the moment, at the time of recording, if you look up Lock On on the search bar, you should see Lock On um, come up as the first item in the search result. And then you can find out more about Lock On Volume 2 there. And um, if this podcast gets pushed out um, within a week of the time of recording, you should be able to back us on there if the copies haven't run out. Because they are limited, by the way, people, except yeah. for the digital copies. But yeah, uh, grab one while you can, because they are they, they are literally flying out the windows into people's hands, and yeah, you don't want to miss out. But yeah, that's it at the moment. Awesome, awesome. Well, um, what I want to say, Jason, is thank you ever so much for sitting with us and talking about. Uh, lock on talking about lost in cult talking about i have lived and talking about all of the uh the wonderful uh little tangents that we went on there are some more things that i'd love to talk to you about but i think we'll have to save them for another another episode if you'd be willing to come back on it oh yeah of course when i'm, when I'm a bit more awake as well 
do check out waffling.tailors.rocks. There'll be a link to that in the show notes. We're on Twitter and Facebook and all the other places. Just type in Waffling Tailors and we'll come up, I'm sure. Um, and I guess all that really remains to say is uh, thank you ever so much for being on the show, Jason. And thank you ever so much, Squidgy, for joining me again. It was awesome, as always. It really was, wasn't it? Well, I, it was awesome to have you two on. I don't know whether it's always awesome, because, I mean, it's me, right? <laughs> but with that being said, <laughs> with that being said, uh, I'll see you later, Jason. See you later. Bye. See you later, Squidgy. Bye. Intro music is Among the Stars by Muse Station Productions. Outro music is I Need You Watashi no Sabate by GH. Spoiler break music is Spectrum Subdiffusion Mix by Phonics. Palette cleanser music is Breathe Deep, Breathe Clear by Siobhan Daguet. See the show notes for more details.